0: Good morning, Redemption Church. How y'all doing this morning? That's what I'm talking about. We are Redemption Church. We are not the church of the chosen frozen. We like to get wild. And so I love getting to hear you today. Hey, if you don't know who I am, my name is Ethan. I am the small group director here at Redemption Church. And we are right in the middle of a three-week sermon series over small groups and how we were made for this, because we are launching into a new season of small groups starting the week of August 23rd. So we'll be doing that ASAP, and I'm super excited about it. We're building it all up. Small groups give us an opportunity to pursue God together. And we believe that here at Redemption Church, that we're actually better together. And we believe that we were made for this. Last week, we talked about how we were created for community. And we talked about how, as our small groups continue to grow, that our small groups are actually an amazing gift for us to feel a relational need that we have inside of us. But small groups are not just about feeling a relational need. They also act as a compass and a boost in a direction that God has um, for our lives and the call on our lives. And next week, we're going to talk about how disciples make disciples. You know, Jesus calls us, he says, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But as I was prepping for this sermon series, I was kind of like digging through the ideas and praying on it. And I realized that the disciples, before they went and made disciples, they had to learn how to be disciples. They spent three years with Jesus. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about today. I know that most of you guys, if you were here from last week, last week we talked about how we were created for community. And I feel like we're on the same page with that. And it's kind of hard to deny that. And we just showed it in the Bible in different ways, how we are created for community. But you can just see it in your life all around you. And that's what we talked about last week. But I know that some of you guys are in different stages of life and stages of faith. I know that some of you are still counting the cost of what it would take to follow Jesus. I know for some of you guys that, that you just now started following Jesus, and you're so excited, and you have no idea what to do. And I know that some of you guys have, been, have made that decision a long time ago to follow Jesus, and maybe the passion has pulled back, or maybe you find yourself just kind of going through the motions and not really acting like a true disciple of Jesus. And so there are a lot of people in here from a lot of different walks in life and walks in faith. But there's one thing that I know for sure, and that's no matter what stage of life you're in today, you were designed for discipleship. And that's the sermon title today, that you were designed for discipleship. It's the most important thing in the world. But if, you, if being a disciple of Jesus is so important, Then I think it's important for us to take a look at how we were designed for it and ask this one question to start off What is a disciple? So, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? 2,000 years ago, Jesus took a handful of men and he said two words to them Follow me. (laughs) Two words that changed these men's lives forever two words that changed history forever, and two words that could change your life forever. The word disciple refers to a student or an apprentice. And back then, a disciple would follow their rabbi, which means teacher. A disciple would follow their rabbi, and they would listen to all of their teachings and take it in. And then they would trained in doing as the rabbi does. Basically, this is in your notes, basically a disciple is a follower, if we want to simplify it down. But only if we take the term follower seriously, because the disciples took the term follower very seriously. They maybe didn't understand that What it would look like for them to follow Jesus, or where he was gonna take them, or what kind of impact he was gonna have on their life. But they knew what it meant to follow, and so they followed. And I would like you to take a few minutes with me over the next couple of minutes, and I just want you to kind of be introspective. We're gonna ask some questions together today. And if you're taking notes, you can go ahead and write this down Are you a disciple? That's a big question. And maybe your answer came up quick, but I want you to hold on. I want you to hold on and kind of think this through. Are you a disciple of Jesus? And what I want to do in answering this question, I want us to ask five smaller questions inside of this. And so my first question for you is this right here. Are you following Jesus or religion? Is Jesus the number one priority in your life or is something else filling that spot? Have you oriented your life in such a way to where everything and anything always begins and ends with Jesus? Jesus calls us to follow him and to learn from him and to do like him. But the the truth is, is if we look at our lives, so think about your life right now. If we look at our lives, there are so many other things that we choose to be followers of before we ever get to actually following Jesus. I mean, we claim to be Christians, but we follow our favorite sports team or our favorite TV streaming service or our favorite band or the first guy or girl that we think is moderately attractive and shows us a little bit of attention. We're like, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth, right? We follow all of these different avenues before we ever even consider following Jesus in the way that we follow these other things. It's so common for us that that we mix up associating with Christianity and being a disciple of Jesus. Just because you go to church and call yourself a Christian does not automatically make you a follower of Jesus. The average practicing Christian in America goes to church one out of four times a month. So once a week out of four times in a month. If you think about that, That means that the average practicing Christian in America only goes to church 12 times in a year. And so maybe that's you. Okay. Understandable. But let's say that that's the bare minimum, right? Now, let's say that you are one of those super Christians where you come every single week so we're going to take a look at one of the, the, what, a, what it looks like for a super Christian, and we're going to do some math just using that. We're not even doing the bare minimum. We're going to go above and beyond. So let's say if you come to church once a week, but you only are choosing intentionally to follow Jesus while you're at church, even if you come every single week. Let's take a look at this. 168 hours are in a week, Okay. Okay, so whenever you come to church, you'll be here for about an hour and a half. So if we do some math, that ends up being less than 1% of the time you have in your week. And so my question to you is, if you're only giving your heart to Jesus on a Sunday morning, and that's if you come every single week, can you actually follow Jesus if you're giving him less than 1% of your time? I mean, let's be real. I'm not the smartest person in the room. But if you gave less than 1% of time to your husband or your wife, you might as well just sign those divorce papers, right? I mean, like, let's be real. Just think about it. Listen, just because you go to church and call yourself a Christian doesn't automatically make you a Christian. Why? Because the church cannot save you. The church cannot save you. Redemption Church, my favorite church, I'm biased, for sure. Glad you're here. But Redemption Church did not save you from your sins. Jesus Christ saves you from your sins. And this is a wake-up call for some of you today to stop playing church and start following Jesus. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Or are you just a fan of Jesus? A follower plays on the field with Jesus. A fan is a spectator who sits in the bleachers. Maybe they come, and they bring all the energy, and they are tons of fun, and they they go get all the, the drinks and the snacks. And maybe even they, like, celebrate and scream for you and everything, but they also leave at the end of the game. And they were never on the team. A fan is not actually on the team. If you think about the NBA, you're not making $9 million being a fan. That would be nice. But a fan comes to church but never actually gets in the game. So, my question to you is Are you a fan of Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? This is my second question Is your life reflecting the life of Jesus? Jesus was a rabbi, he was a teacher who taught his disciples. And they not only listened to his words, but they also followed in his actions. Jesus lived a radical life of loving and serving others. John 13, 34 says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Do you love and serve others today more and better than you did six months ago? If not... You should start asking yourself some really hard questions. Is your life reflecting the life of Jesus? Number three, do you help others follow Jesus? When you love something, you tell people about it. This is not rocket science. When you love something, you tell people about it. If you watch a movie and it moves you, what do you do? You go tell all your friends. You're like, man, this movie was so good. You need to go see it. You need to go see it. If you take a trip to Houston and you find this bomb restaurant, like Miko's Hot Chicken, you just got to tell somebody, right? If you love it, if you enjoy it, you tell people it's the natural response. So my question to you is this, why are you not telling people about Jesus? You just got to tell somebody. And it doesn't matter if you have the the right theological arguments or the complete understanding of penal substitutionary atonement. Like, it does not matter. All people need to know is that Jesus is changing your life and he can do it for them. So go and tell people about Jesus. Do you help others follow Jesus? Number four, do you build intentional godly relationships? Jesus was intentional with building godly relationships in his life. We see that with the disciples, that he was intentional with them. He pulled them in, and he lived life with them, <clears throat> with them through the ups and the downs. He lived, through them, he lived with them through um, just your regular day, and then he also lived with them whenever they were really doing good, and he also lived with them when they were really doing bad, and he was teaching and loving them all the while this is happening. Disciples make disciples. And and just like Jesus did life with the disciples, I'm wondering, are, are you doing life with people in your church? Telling people about Jesus is the first step. But the second step is also showing people how to follow Jesus by letting them into your life. But we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want people to see our lives. Do you build intentional relationships to show people how to follow Jesus? Number five, do you rely on God's grace? Following Jesus is simple, but it is not easy. Jesus' definition of discipleship is not only a destination, but it's also a direction. Right? So we think about being a disciple of Jesus, meaning that we end up in heaven, and that's it. But that's too, that's too lackadaisical for what Jesus had in mind. It's also a direction in which we live our lives. So part of being a disciple is being close to Jesus and Jesus being close to the disciples through the ups and the downs, whenever they messed up and whenever they did well, whenever life just beat them up. I mean, Peter denied Jesus. Thomas doubted Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus. My question is, whenever you get knocked down, either by your own doing, tripping up, or life knocking you down, do you get back up? Because if you are saved by your own works, you might as well stay down. Because you're... (laughs) do a little praise break. That was literally my response. I wasn't like, what's going on? I'm like, I guess it's time. <laughs> <laughs> my question is, do you get back up? <laughs> because if you're saved by your own works, you might as well stay down. Because you're always going to make mistakes, and you're always going to find yourself falling back into sin, and you're always going to find yourself being knocked down by life. If it's by your own doing, stay down. But if it's by the grace of God, if you're saved by the grace of God, then you get back up. You get back up. No matter how many times you get knocked down, you get back up. In 2 Corinthians 12, uh, Paul is talking about his struggle that he has within himself. And he's having this conversation with God, and, and he's telling us about it that, that, God, I feel like I just can't seem to get this one thing under control in my life. It seems to have me, and I don't have it. And we think about Paul, the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, as this superhero, but he was just a regular person. And, he, and we have the same Holy Spirit inside of us that he does whenever we follow Jesus. Right. And so he also had these issues too. And he said in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When you follow Jesus, you are not promised perfection, but you are promised the perfect one to never leave you. Are you relying on God's grace or do you try to do it all on your own? These are five small questions to ask this big question today. And I want you to think about it. I want you to take it home with you, whatever you need to do. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Or do you just go to church? The whole point of being a disciple of Jesus is to know his teachings and to imitate his life with your life and to carry on his ministry and become more like him in the process. So are you a disciple of Jesus? And if you've never made a decision to become a follower of Jesus, and that's something that you want to do at the end of this service, or you have made that decision and then you realize that you kind of like fell off and maybe you're just playing church or maybe you've gotten lackadaisical with your faith and, and you're not following Jesus as closely. I have another question that I want to answer for you. How do I become a disciple of Jesus? The answer is not easy, but it is simple. And it will change your life forever. In Matthew four nineteen, Jesus says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. But before that, in Matthew 4, 17, two verses ahead, he proclaims another message. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, repent. What does that mean? You maybe just hear angry um, Christians screaming it on YouTube. Repent, repent. What does that mean? Repent means to turn. So you're facing this way. You're, you're spending your whole life going in this direction where you're selfish and you have selfish ambitions and you're always thinking about yourself and it's you above everybody else and you're heading in this direction and then you turn, right? And you repent. Why do we turn? It's because sin is this way and Jesus is that way. And so I'm going to turn and I'm going to walk towards Jesus and I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. In Romans, Paul says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that you have been living a life of sin and selfishness and you repent in your heart and you turn Away from the sin, you begin to follow Jesus, and then you are saved, and you are now a disciple of Jesus. You are now a follower of Jesus. It's that simple. But again, it's not easy for us to get over ourselves. That's why we need the grace of God. So whether you become a disciple today, or you're just convicted of maybe acting like a bad disciple... Either way, I want to give you seven tools to help you become the best disciple. And so we have this question here. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. How to be a disciple. We need to know how to be a disciple. And the way that we're going to answer that question is with seven ways to grow as a disciple of Jesus. So number one, grow in your Bible reading. Remember when I said that A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Well, how can you follow Jesus if you don't know who he is or what he said? You have to read the Bible. You have to grow in your relationship with God's word. Why? Because Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know truth and the truth will set you free. When you read your Bible, you will experience life change through Jesus. That's just how it works (laughs) because it's the word of God. It's the living word of God. It's not like any other book that's ever been written in the entire world. And we all have differing opinions, but we can all agree on this one thing, that uh, everything is getting crazy outside, right? Everything is getting insane. And so you have to start asking questions like, what do I do? Who do I be? Where do I go? Well, I would say you turn to God's word. Read your Bible. It will change your life. Number two, grow in obedience to God and denying yourself. Obedience is about submission. And maybe you've submitted to people in your life and you have been hurt by that. But I want you to know that whenever you're submitting to God, you're submitting to someone who is perfect and has your best interest in mind. God is always better than you think he is. That is one truth that I've learned in my life repeatedly, that God is always better than you think he is. So he's worth submitting to in obedience. Your life just gets better. And when the disciples chose to follow Jesus, they also chose to submit to Jesus' teachings and the way that he lived his life. James 4 says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Submitting yourself to God is to deny your sinful nature and to deny the temptations that you experience. Jesus says in Luke 14, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. To bear your own cross, there's a lot in there. We've preached entire sermons on that here at Redemption Church. When you're a disciple of Jesus, you will spend the rest of your life learning to deny yourself and submit different aspects of your life to God. That's the thing. It's the destination of perfection happens after you die. You will never be perfect. But if you're heading in the right direction and you're submitting yourself to God, you will learn how to deny these ugly parts of you inside and and learn how to love people in the process. Number three, grow in spiritual disciplines. So spiritual disciplines are a tool to orient ourselves and our lives and our minds and our heart on God. The more you do spiritual disciplines, the more time you're actually spending submitting to God in different areas of your life. So like, what are some spiritual disciplines that you should grow in? Well, we already talked about one earlier, it was reading your Bible. That's a spiritual discipline. Why? Because it's orienting you to God. It's taking your eyes off of everything else going on in your life and putting them on something bigger. God. And then we have prayer. Prayer is so important to the Christian life. Because if you follow Jesus, you need to be able to talk to Jesus. You need to be able to talk to the Lord. And that's all that prayer is, is you having a conversation with God And as you continue to do that, you'll learn to hear his voice better. This is very practical. It's just like meeting someone um, for the first time and you're like, oh man, I I like them. I want to get to know them. Well, you wouldn't be able to pick their voice out of a crowd, but the more you talk to them, the more you talk to them, the more you know their voice. And so prayer is you being able to share your heart with God and share your, your concerns and your circumstances and to be able to share how thankful you are for him in the process and also for him to be able to speak to you. Pro tip, whenever God's talking, shut up. (laughs) Listen, because you can't hear him if you're talking. You'll learn that as you go. Um, Another one would be confession. Confession is so important. It's actually something that I appreciate about the Catholic churches is that they put a high value on confession. And we believe in confession, but not just to a priest, because because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we are all in the priesthood of God now. And so, with that, so with that, we are able to confess to one another our sins. But we're scared to do that because we don't want people to see our mistakes. We don't want people to see our ugliness inside that we have. But here's the deal: newsflash, everybody sins. Everybody deals with temptations. Everybody makes mistakes. But whenever you hide them and you don't confess those things to one another, guess what? It just festers and it grows and it builds inside of you until it becomes something deadly. That's how sin works. But whenever you're with a group of believers, and this is why small groups are so cool. Whenever you're with a group of believers, a group of disciples of Jesus, there's no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, yes. you will not be condemned, but you will be brought to life in that. For me, I think about, I think about like the sin and the shame and those things as like a little punk. It's this little punk that just holds on to you for dear life, and it tries to stay in the dark, and we all have this little punk inside of us. And it's our job as Christians to come into agreement with God that whenever we have that little punk holding on to us and trying to stay in the shadows, that we say no, and we pull it out into the light. That's our job as Christians, is to see the sin within ourselves as the Lord shows it to us, to grab a hold of that little punk that's hiding in the shadows and pull it out into the light. Because if you don't do that, you will not experience healing and wholeness that Jesus has for you. Confession is a spiritual discipline and you should grow in it. Worship. Worship's another one. We love to worship here at Redemption Church, don't we? But here's my question. Do you worship whenever you're by yourself? For me, I know that I'm doing well whenever I spend a lot of time in worship by myself. And I also know that I'm not doing so hot whenever I'm not worshiping by myself. The Lord does not care what you sound like in the car by yourself. He just loves that you are worshiping him. It's so important that we worship because it takes our eyes off of our circumstances and our situations around us. And it puts us on a God who is so much bigger than your current situation. So much bigger, and it literally changes your heart. So God is God. Super simple, super powerful. And if God is God, he deserves to be worshiped and praised through the good times and through the good times and the bad times, right? But there's also something else that happens in worship. Your heart changes towards God. Your heart gets away from all of the stresses and the problems in life and puts it on God. That's what spiritual disciplines do. They orient you towards God. Rest. Rest is a spiritual discipline. Did you know that it's spiritual for you to take a nap sometimes? Come on. I'm taking a nap right after service. Hands down, going to do it. Might eat a Subway sandwich beforehand. But rest is so important. And we know this because, well, number one, the Bible's been telling us for thousands of years that rest is so important and that God values rest and you should value rest too. And then we also have these scientific studies that are coming out and the more they come out, it's like, hey, rest is everything. To the health of your mind and your body and your soul, rest is so important. And think about it, whenever you're not rested, everything seems a little bit more out of control, including yourself. So you'll find yourself being a little bit more snippy with people, right? Like you don't have the patience that you had before. And that's assuming that you had patience before. (laughs) Rest is so important. And the Lord will actually drop revelation inside of you whenever you're sleeping. It's in Proverbs or Psalms. I think it's in Psalms. That the Lord will drop revelations inside of you that you couldn't take all at one time if you were awake. You'd be like, that's too much. And so he starts putting these things inside of your spirit while you sleep. It's important to rest. Generosity. Generosity is a big one. And we preach it here at Redemption Church. We're like, hey, be generous. Give people an invite card. But before that, tip them really big. And if you're not generous, don't leave our card. You know, why? Because our God is generous. He gives freely to us. And so it's on us to learn how to live the way that that God has for us to live. And God himself, Jesus, lived, which was a very generous life. And there's different types of generosity. You know, there's financial generosity. There's time generosity, where you give your time. There's, There's your heart generosity, where you pour yourself out on others. Generosity is giving, but above and beyond in everything that you do, because we serve a generous God. And then another one would be serving. And that's actually the, the fourth um, point that I have for you here, that you should grow in serving God by serving others. One of the quickest uh, things that will jumpstart you in your discipleship following Jesus is serving itself. Mark ten forty-five says this. Jesus says... For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. If God served others, we should probably serve others. And again, it does something important for you, and this is why we take, uh, we, we take our serve teams very seriously, and we, and we want to get you on board in a serve team so quickly whenever you start coming to our church, because it makes you have Um, an idea, a new perspective of the way that God views things. Guess what? Whenever you start following Jesus, it's not about you anymore. It's about something bigger. And whenever you serve others, you get to see, oh, okay, other people have value. Other people matter too. I need to start investing in serving other people. And that's why we believe that our serve teams are so important here. So uh, get on the serve team. Number five, grow in exercising your faith in difficult times. 1 Corinthians says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Steadfast and immovable. Why did it say that? Because everything in the world tries to take your feet out from under you. You even try to take your own feet out from under you. That's what a trip is. You know, think about it. So why would he say be steadfast and immovable? Because Jesus is our strong foundation. And so he's saying cling close to Jesus. Follow Jesus close because there are going to come storms and weathers that try to blow you to and fro. But if you stand on The foundation of Jesus, you will stand firm. The most powerful Christians that I know personally are people who have been through it. They've just been through the crap. And they held on to Jesus and they came out on the other side and they trusted him even more. And they carry so much authority now because they've been through it. They know Right? It makes me think about like if a tornado is coming and you don't, have a, you don't have like a bunker or anything and you see all you have, it's like right there and all you have is this one pole and you're like, I need to strap myself to this pole because I know this pole is 40 feet into the ground. All right. And then you do it ah, 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 and your feet are flying in the air while the tornado is coming by and then you make it through. Whenever you get done, number one, you're going to kiss that pole. <laughs> but your trust is going to be in that pole now. Right, because it stood firm and it stood the test of time and it stood the test of the weathers that life bring your way. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger in your faith when you know Jesus. Number six, grow in sharing your faith with others. It's so important for us to share our faith. If you find Jesus... And you don't tell anybody about him. Ooh, you selfish. (laughs) Because he's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. Whenever you experience Jesus, your life begins to change. So why would you not tell people about him? That's why we have these invite cards. And we say, hey, hold up your invite cards. All right. It's not just an invite to Redemption Church, an invite to life change through Jesus, right? Put it in your pocket. You're going to need it later. Because it's important to share your faith. And to be honest with you, the invite card is just the bare minimum. Again, because Redemption Church can't save people. It's a tool to get them here, but it's the bare minimum. You should be telling people about how you're experiencing life change through Jesus. I told you already, you don't have to have this figured out. You don't have to have all the theological arguments and all the terms and, and be ready for everybody's questions because whenever people see the reality and the realness and authenticity inside of you, whenever you say, I don't have the answers, all I know is that Jesus is changing my life and he can do it for you too, people are like, okay. Tell me more. What do you know about this? It's just how it works. So whenever Jesus is changing your life, just like the Miko's hot chicken, go tell somebody. Go tell somebody. Why are you telling people about a restaurant that you enjoy, but you can't tell people about Jesus? That restaurant didn't change your life. Miko's hot chicken didn't change my life. Maybe the next day, just for that one day. But outside of that... So that's what it feels like to say a mildly uh, bad joke like Pastor Byron, (laughs) the guilt. (laughs) You know, to be honest, Trevor told me to say that. That's on you, bud. (laughs) Number seven, grow in building godly relationships. Discipleship is not a DIY project. It is not a do-it-yourself project. Jesus was very intentional in growing godly relationships with his disciples. He was with them for three straight years, and he just poured into them. And if Jesus needed godly relationships, and if Jesus built godly relationships, how much more do we need those? That's why we have small groups. If you don't know what a small group is, it's where we take eight to 12 people, where you meet up in someone's home in a midweek. Uh, at a midweek time, you, you come together, you eat together, you pray together, you talk about the service together, you talk about the sermon, you talk about the scripture together, you talk about God together, and then you also learn each other's stories, because learning each other's stories are, are so important. And it's good for you to know your own story, because there's so many things that we run from in our own story. But whenever we get to share these things and confess these things and, and, and share our stories with other people you'll see that like, hey, there's not actually shame that comes with that. There's not guilt that comes with that, but people have compassion for you. And then when people share their story with you, you feel compassion for them. It's how vulnerability works. I'll talk about that more next week. But um, I want to share a couple of quick stories with you from real people in our church and how they feel about small groups at Redemption Church. One woman said this, Through small groups, Jesus brought healing to parts of my heart that I didn't even know were broken. That's someone who means that. Small groups created a much-needed space in my life for encouragement, accountability, communication, respect, discipline, development, and almost anything and everything else that my relationship with God had been missing all this time. It's important to do discipleship with other people. Another person said, as a group, we prayed for someone's daughters who didn't know Jesus, and later we got to see them meet Jesus and get baptized in our church. You'll, you'll hear stories like that, and hopefully you'll experience stories like that as well. Another one said, I learned how to read my Bible in a small group. I understand that the Bible might be Strange to you if you didn't grow up in church and you didn't learn how to do it. But guess what? We learn how to do those things in a small group. And I've gotten several stories, including my own stories of people in our church meeting their best friends in small groups and lifelong friends that they're going to keep forever in small groups because they are so important to our lives. Small groups help cultivate culture in your heart and in your life. You were designed for discipleship, and we were meant to do it together. You were made for this. Small groups are made to help you grow in your discipleship, in learning how to follow Jesus together. Small groups were designed to bring disciples of Jesus together so they can learn how to be more like him together. You want to grow as a disciple? You want to grow in reading your Bible, obeying God and denying yourself, spiritual disciplines. You want to grow in serving God by serving others, exercising your faith in difficult times, sharing your faith with others, building godly relationships. You can grow in all of these things in a small group. That's why they're there. So I just gave you seven ways to grow in discipleship of Jesus. There are so many more, but here's seven of them. And this was a lot of information today. But information without application is useless. It actually produces prideful and useless people. So we here at Redemption are not here just to gain information, but to experience life transformation. (laughs) We love seeing people experience life change through Jesus, including you. And so you might ask, how do I apply everything that we talked about today? How, how do I work through these things? I have some questions. I have some things I want to talk about. I have some conversations I think I need to have to kind of like work through these things. Well, that's the thing is that I only get you for, for it today, 40 minutes a week. But that's why we have small groups so that you guys can work these things out together. They're not there just for you to hang out. They're there for you to find out what it really means to follow Jesus. That's why we have small groups. And next week, we are going to have our small group Sunday, which is where we're all going to get to sign up for small groups um, before and after service. And so that's going to be really um, exciting. But my challenge for you today is for you to fill out this connect card that's in your seat, with the information on the back and then check small groups. And if you do that, someone from our church will reach out to you this week and we will make sure that you get plugged into a small group. We'll answer the questions that you might have about what it looks like to be in a small group. This is my challenge for you this week so that you can take your next step into what you were made for. You were designed for discipleship. And I want to encourage you to take your discipleship seriously, because how you respond to Jesus when he says to you, follow me, can change your life forever. Let's pray.